Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are talking about Lincoln. As the American Civil War continues to rage, America's president struggles with continuing carnage on the battlefield as he fights with many inside his own cabinet on the decision to emancipate the slaves. Yep. This movie is very, very pure Oscar bait. I mean, the second we saw that it was coming out, we're like, well, that's it's a historical biopic. Uh, yeah, it's Oscar bait. That, and that's what these typically are. Any film about a political leader of any kind, and then you add, you put in it the cast of this kind, Oscar bait, always. Yeah. The question is, will the movie rise above that or not? Sometimes they do. Some, sometimes they do. And sometimes it's particularly if they get hyper focused on one aspect of that person because you know sometimes you don't then it can be interesting to have that part of the story so like we got darkest hour which was a very specific sliver of winston churchill's tenure yeah which was interesting having gotten dunkirk to have those two films that are covering the same period of time but just from different perspectives are cool and again are totally Oscar baity in their subject matter, but can serve their purpose. And then we have this film. I don't like this movie. Don't really either. And I'm I'm having trouble deciding why exactly. I think I know why I didn't like it. Okay. Partially because I- I've learned and gleaned a lot of specific history stuff related to Lincoln. I think the writing we can talk about and, and dig into this a little bit. The source material they took from is very specific source material mm-hmm. that I am not going to call a historical. Okay. It was very well researched. Sure. But it is very myopic mm-hmm. in looking at who Abraham Lincoln was sure. and his motivations for doing things. Sure. This movie, it's such a white savior movie without really trying to be. Mm-hmm. It's not like Green Book where it's very on the nose that look at this white guy and the amazing stuff he does. Mm-hmm. This movie is very much trying to just be an interesting political story, okay. but in the midst of doing that becomes a white savior movie and it feels gross now. And I'll say in 2012, if I saw this movie at the time, probably would have hailed it, probably would have thought it was amazing and incredible. But now with the context and the knowledge that I have, it just leaves me feeling meh and kind of bored. So it is important to think about the context of when we're seeing this film and the context of when it was made. That doesn't change the historical events that the film is portraying. No. When we're watching it does affect our opinion of it. So we need to be mindful of that. But I think... I think the reason why I don't like this is because this film doesn't show me anything I haven't already been told about Lincoln. I I don't care. Like the white savior aspect. I already knew that was what was going to be a part of this going into it. That's what I expected because this film didn't show me anything new about Lincoln. I didn't already know or, or feel to be true. Lincoln is talked about most of the time in a white savior way. He just he just is. I, I know that's not accurate. He was handed a really shitty presidency and he did some good things, but he didn't do an amazing job. But he has a he he had a really tumultuous presidency and somehow held it together 
in some ways. I don't know a ton more than that, honestly. And that's why he's talked about the most. And that's, I think, why regardless of what your political leaning is, why people uh, look to him admirably, because despite that, he still was able to help hold himself high in his in, at his time in his regard, whatever. But I didn't learn anything new about how he handled things or what he hoped for or wished for. It, it, so I didn't care. The only thing I found interesting from this film was watching his cabinet guys muscle over the senators because I find that stuff entertaining and they filmed it that way. But they also filmed it in a way that was a farce. And it's like, this is sad because these are people's lives and their livelihood and their personhood that we're making a joke out of. So that's that's where it starts to be like, oh, well, this is where it feels. It, it was not great then, but it feels extra icky now. For me, it's I'm tired of movies about great men and stories about great men mm -hmm. unless you've got something interesting to say as a whole like if you want to talk about mythology and talking about a great man as a representation of mythology in a concept mm -hmm. that that you're saying something bigger about that's fine lincoln is far more interesting as a study because he was flawed because lincoln's real philosophy was i will do anything to keep the union together and that meant at one point in the war telling the south you can keep your slaves if I'd listened to you, I'd have declared every slave free the minute the first shell struck Fort Sumter. Then the border states would have gone over to the Confederacy, the war would have been lost, and the Union along with it. And instead of abolishing slavery, as we hope to do in two weeks, we'd be watching helpless as infants as it spread from the American South into South America. Oh, how you have longed to say that to me. <laughs> you claim you trust them, but you know what the people are. You know that the inner compass that should direct the soul toward justice has ossified in white men and women north and south unto utter uselessness through tolerating the evil of slavery white people cannot bear the thought of sharing this country's infinite abundance with negroes that also meant that he was willing to suspend certain inalienable rights in the constitution mm -hmm. like freedom of speech in order to keep things together. Because he was trying to not lose the country. I mean, it was an impossible task, do not get me wrong. But if you really look at his presidency, for a long time, he could have cared less about slaves. Yep. His whole purpose was, can I keep the union together? Mm -hmm. And they talk about it in the movie, but then it's like they gloss over it. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's all the movie's fault. I think they're drawing from a source that very much talks about that. But when you set up a story about a great man mm -hmm. and say, we're going to talk about Lincoln, mm -hmm. you're going to gloss over all of that context that makes the story way more interesting and way more rich Yeah, to where you can still show what an interesting and unique person he was because he was fascinating. He's fascinating to study. Oh, sure. If you're like, I'm going to study history, he's a great place to start. It's he a crucial point in American history. It is. And he's the president of all of it. <laughs> but it's just this, again, this film didn't show me anything new or interesting. There were so many things they could have talked about, especially and been like, okay, we're going to take this sliver of time, which is probably the most stressful part of his life, mm -hmm. this section, and we're not going to focus on that. But that's going to be the framework around which we focus on his life and we're going to focus on his family. 
He's lost a child. He has this older child who wants to join the military so badly, and he's denying him. And then he has this other child, which I don't even know if that's remotely true in this film. Yeah, no, um, it is. Okay. He has Tad, and Tad's his youngest okay. boy. Yeah, and so like we're going to focus on this human side of him, which has not been depicted or talked about very often, and that's the story we're going to tell about Lincoln, and that because everybody knows about you know the 13th Amendment. That would have been a better story and also would have been better for Steven Spielberg from what we've seen of his work. The books like this that came out around this time, the the Chernow's Hamilton, Doris Doris mm-hmm. Goodwin's book that we'll talk about here in a minute, they're fine, but they, they sacrifice depth for breadth mm-hmm. and they're refusing to dig into what's a far more compelling story. And Steven didn't do any favors by that. Mm-mm. For Steven to make a Lincoln film, it should have been about him, his life and his family. Well, the budget for this movie was $65 million. That seems low. Maybe, but it, it's a period drama, and I know there's a lot involved with that. But I think this is one of those, you've got a bunch of people in for a little amount of time of filming, mm-hmm. so you can keep some of those costs down, and you're not throwing a whole bunch of special effects at the wall. Still. I don't know. Maybe he called in some favors. Nah. It opened to $944,308. But because it opened in a limited release, I mean, that's, Eh. (laughs) I was like, that seems low. And it is because its total U.S. gross was $182 million. Wow. And its global gross was $275 million. This was a big success for an Oscar bait movie. Mm. A lot of people were interested in seeing this movie. I I mean, we were interested in seeing it at the time, but. It's, It's, to my mind, one of the last super big studio Oscar bait style movies that I can recall. No. But there's like a twist now to most of them, you know? They're, well, they've gotten more focused. Like it's the darkest hour. It, they've like, because they've learned that, especially with the internet and these very robust biographies that come out that we know enough of the broad strokes. So we don't need to, we don't need to see a film that shows us what we already know, we want to see is the story about what we don't know or what we have not seen before. You know what? This movie is a four-quadrant movie masquerading mm-hmm. as an Oscar film. Fair. And this movie is a Wikipedia entry. It is. That's what it feels like. It feels like a rough sketch. It fe- no, it's a PBS film. That's what it is. It's a PBS documentary film pretending to be an Oscar. That's what it is. The PBS documentary <laughs> film would be better, honestly. It, no, it would. But that's what it, that's <laughs> that with with an Oscar cast. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's an unfunny drunk history film. <laughs> like that's what it is. Would it surprise you to know that this movie very nearly got a release on HBO instead of theaters? That would have been better for it. Nobody wanted to distribute it. It only got a wide release because Spielberg was a co-owner of DreamWorks. Of course, he couldn't get distribution because it's not very good. Because it doesn't tell you anything you don't know or care about. That's the problem with the film. I have not looked at the criticism, but this is a movie where I think I'm going to go dig through and see what people had to say. It's not a bad film, but it is not a good film. It leaves you going, okay, I watched a movie. And then the more you sit with it, the more you go, what What did I watch? Here's Here's what this movie is. This is the film they make you watch at the end of the semester in school because you're done learning for the year. <laughs> this is what this movie is for. There's no nudity. There's no real curse words. Who cares? And That's what this film is for. It's disappointing because you have this level of talent sure. involved. Sure. 
So you're thinking, why is it not better than it you is? Daniel fucking Day Lewis. The dude makes one one movie every five years. There's a fun story about that. Of later. course, of course. So we got to our writing, and we start off with the person who wrote the book on which this is based. Okay, Doris Cairns Goodwin. Her nonfiction book, Team of Rivals, yep. is the key text informing the story. Everything else is built around that. That, like, I have the cover of that book ingrained in my brain from having worked in the bookstore for so long because that is just one of those standard summer reading books because it's it's a great, I know, I have, I have not read it, but I know it is a fabulous text. From what I know, the text really is the dirty nitty gritty of getting it done. Absolutely. And the darkness of the war. Like sure. that is the main topic of Team of Rivals, which again, I would have loved that movie. Like that book, Guns, Germs, and Steel are all about like how gross war is and all this. Sh- like it's all the grossness of all of this shit. Well, and this, and from what I know, Team of Rivals really isn't the grossness of war. It's, it's the politics side. It's It's the politics of how do we get out of this finally? Yeah. So Spielberg was already well into development on this film. Okay. When this book came out. He started making this movie in 2000. What? This book came out in 2005. This movie comes out in 2012. No. (laughs) Now, he did make the smart move that as soon as he met and discussed the project with Doris Kearns Goodwin, he heard about her book, which she hadn't even finished yet, Mm -hmm. and immediately reserved the rights before it came out. Okay, well, that's smart. Like, that's just being shrewd and smart as a director, producer, but no. (laughs) No. I'm mad. We're we're slowly devolving on the story. Our actual screenwriter is Tony Kushner. What? The, I will admit, fantastic contemporary playwright who did write a masterwork of theater. Angels in America is genius. It is. I'm not going to disparage Angels in America because it is wonderful. And he, of course, wrote the television adaptation for that. He also wrote Munich before this film. Okay, which we haven't seen. He hasn't written anything since then. But I mean, Kushner's lived so many lives outside of movies that that doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> he, this And this isn't like a disparaging thing. He's a slow worker. Yeah, he, he's methodical yeah, for he, sure. He doesn't write fast. And that's, again, not a disparaging comment against him. It's just he doesn't work fast. But coming soon, he is writing The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara for Steven to direct. Okay. And also... The West Side Story adaptation that Steven is going to be directing. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, what? yeah, no, it's going to be another Kushner-Spielberg joint. I'm really nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm really nervous about this. You should be. It's nerve-wracking. Because neither of those men do musicals. No. I'm, I'm, or sweeping cinematic things that are equivalent to musicals. I'm very nervous. <laughs> no. Well, I'm, let's I... but it, let's set that aside for the moment. Oh, David, I'm going to be so nervous for a long time. What do we think about Tony Kushner's script for this film? And I don't like it. <laughs> I, the story is so bad. Okay, like What what story? Which wh- well, not what story, but which story are we telling? I'm so mad at Steven Spielberg. And Tony Kushner now, because he's better than this. Because, okay, you start you start working on this project in 2000. I can, I can see how this could happen, but it's still wrong. 
Stevie's like, I want to make a Lincoln film. There's never been a Lincoln film. What do we know about Lincoln just as people? Okay, I have to do his whole life. Start with him as a child. We got to end with the assassination. These like these are all the big things. Okay, cool. And it was conceived as a full biography before they got Team of Rivals as their source. Sure, cool. Totally get that. So yeah. like starting in 2000, like, okay, I'm going to start. We're going to start doing our research. I got monies. We're going to throw some people at researching and figure out everything because I'm going to do this right. Yeah. Because Stephen is very meticulous. We know that about him. Cool. Five years goes by. This book comes out. Oh, shit, we got some new information. <laughs> this is our story. This is what our story should be. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. They kept all of the shit that they had before. They focused in on that time period, which makes sense. The problem is we don't care about stuff we already know about. Like with the crown, perfect example. I don't need to see, particularly with this last season about Princess Diana, I don't need to see the wedding. No. That was one of the most filmed and photographed events of our lifetime. It wasn't my lifetime because I was born after it. Uh, (laughs) I really just need to put a pin in that. And yes, it was named after her. But for the show, they needed to reference it. They needed us to see her in the dress, but we did not need to see the wedding. They needed to give us just enough of what we already know while painting a different part of the picture for us. Which is wise. They did not do that here. It's especially true when you are dealing with a figure that is so iconic mm-hmm. and also so well studied. Because and, Lincoln is representative of an era. And he's so well studied and so well revered, regardless of what your political bent is. But the story that they focused on, he's not a hero. The story that they told is about getting the 13th Amendment passed. That's what they chose to fixate on, which makes sense. That was a big fucking deal. And they chose to spend a lot of screen time on the political muscle needed behind that. Also, very interesting. But they made that part comical. And they tried to make Lincoln the hero of that story. He is not the hero in that story. And then the other part of it, which is the part where Steven Spielberg shines, because he's really good at the human stories, is the clear turmoil of his family. Which was near constant in Lincoln's presidency. Yeah, what I... Okay, and so here's the other thing is, this, and this is why I don't like this, why I've figured out why I don't like this film. This film doesn't tell me anything about Lincoln I didn't already know, with the exception of, I didn't realize how grief-stricken his wife was. I didn't know that that was a real aspect of his family life. Yeah, and that was, I mean, there are notes from the history of that, that that's a near constant presence Mm -hmm. in their life. So the fact that, and I, I do really love that argument where they, you know, they've lost a child and she was so, like, they're talking about parties and how she hates them. And he's like, I hate them too, but this is what we do. And and she's angry and mad at him that after they lost their child, he just went to the party. And he's like, I couldn't sit and wallow anymore with you. I had to go on. And that's so true. And that's just, that's so honest. And I was like, oh, this is a beautiful scene. I was like, But this is what the movie should have been about. Instead, Stevens got a bunch of scenes like that that are supposed to stand in and represent Uh one moment in his life. And it just once again reiterates that Mm -hmm. great man, iconic figure of Lincoln and not a, a character study of who Lincoln was. Lincoln was not a perfect guy. No, he's not a hero to the slaves. He's not. That speech to his cabinet where he talks about, 
I suspended habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. I did all of yeah. this horrible stuff yeah. that violates our constitution. No. And is it going to be worth it if we don't get this fucking done? Yeah. We are stepped out upon the world stage now. Now! With the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. Now! 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 And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like pettifogging Tammany Hall hucksters. See what is before you. See the here and now. That's the hardest thing. The only thing that accounts. Because what what he finally gets, I think he, it's not that he's a villain, it's he's an anti-hero for sure. Sure. An anti-hero is like, you did some good shit, but you didn't do it with the right motivation. And how is he going to reckon with the fact that at the end, what is going to be the legacy of all of this mess sure. if we don't actually pass this? Sure. But we don't get any motivation. We yeah. don't get any understanding uh, of that. Mm-mm. And Stephen decides to fill that in by he's a loving family man, which is like, that's fine, but that's not the point. Nope. It's two different movies going on at the same time. Exactly. And neither of them do anything to give us any interest. No. And and I, knowing Tony Kushner's other work, it's like, you should have stopped part of this. And so should Stephen. Well, I, I haven't seen Stephen's other work where he just couldn't help himself. Uh, no. No. Like, so this is this is bad. This is bad. I was like, no, this should not have taken 12 years. You know, you have to ask yourself the question, by whom, for whom? Steven. <laughs> it's fucking Steven. He he he's just he wanted to make a movie about Lincoln, so he made a movie about Lincoln for him, which is so this movie is when you think about it, this movie is so indulgent. Yeah. Because it's okay, I'm going to talk about his family. He's a good dad, okay? He's a good husband even though his wife is clearly having some problems. Okay. Also, freed the slaves, but not really. And 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 he couldn't help himself but show the assassination, which should have never been in this film. Oh, I hated it so much. Like It was so unnecessary it's, and stupid. It should have never been in this film because that's not what this film is about. No. If I'm looking at what this film is actually showing me, it's about th- passing the 13th Amendment. It should have been walking off him, him, you know, okay, we passed it. He He's sitting in his office. He's hearing, okay, we've passed it. Great. He smokes his pipe. He puts on his hat. He goes for a walk. Whatever. You want that iconic image of him that we've seen. Cool. I'm fine with him giving us that. That's a little cheesy, but I'll allow it because it's whatever. Something to that effect. Or we we do the West Wing thing where we pull out of him in his office. Like we just leave him because he still has work to do. He's not done. But this is the big thing that he was able to do. This is what the movie's about. The movie is not about his life. And Stephen made this movie by Stephen for Stephen. That's what this fucking movie's for. You don't know how right you are. Uh-oh. Are you ready to get more angry about the writing, though? They definitely took some liberties with the uh, with the story here. Mm. Let's start with the least impactful first. Uh-oh. There was no roll call vote for the 13th Amendment, only a paper ballot. Okay. That, a dramatic effect, I'll deal. Like, we get to have... We, we, we get to have some senators finally make a courageous decision and decide I'm actually going to do something for the greater good. Okay. The names of the no votes in the House scene were changed so as not to embarrass the living descendants of those senators. Oh, fuck off. I hate it. I hate it. Nope. If it's historically accurate, fuck off. Here's the worst one. There, there's a worst one? Thaddeus Stevens and his housekeeper Lydia Hamilton are portrayed as lovers in the film. Uh-huh. Now, 
it is widely believed, based on circumstantial evidence, that this was true. Okay. There's lots of anecdotal evidence. There's lots of people within their lives, firsthand sources, referring to them as lovers and as partners. Being in a relationship, okay. There is no official documented proof of it. That's the only issue there. It's a little irresponsible on that front. I I don't love it because you didn't need it. And it's unnecessary. Here's where it gets really bad. Okay. The legendary and also horribly racist 1915 film The Birth of a Nation by D.W. Griffith, Mm -hmm. which is essentially pro-Klan propaganda. Used Thaddeus Stevens and Lydia Hamilton Smith's relationship within the film as propaganda and proof of Northern degeneracy. And I guarantee you, Stephen knows that this existed because up until very recently, The Birth of a Nation was required viewing for film students because of how many techniques were used. So this relationship was used in incredibly racist propaganda from the beginning of cinema, and Stephen decided to put it in the film. Stephen perpetuated that. Great. Um, And did it in a self-indulgent manner to just say, look at him, he's progressive for his time. And it wasn't necessary and it added nothing to the film. And who does it promote? The white guy. Yeah, it makes the white guy look good. Like, don't get me wrong. That's an interesting story. Sure. Of Thaddeus Stevens having a partner who was black. Sure. Which would have been... Such a mind-blowing thing. Sure, absolutely. I I don't I don't want to discredit that, but if that's not the like that's such a um such a throwaway. It's it's given to oh. us in such a pap, icky, sentimental manner mm. without any context. Yep. It's disgusting. No thank you. Yep. I'm not happy about this. So fuck Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I'm not happy with him. Like, I, I'm, I'm not pleased. It's it's one of those things where you see the good intention and you see sure. all the harm caused by it, and you go, "God damn it!" <laughs> oh no, not an excuse. You just go, "God, what a fucking moron, white dude." <laughs> who could have been better for this script? We have John Logan, who we talked about writing Skyfall and Spectre. Oh, okay. Playwright close to my heart, and Paul Webb, also a playwright, who his main film credit is the film Selma. Okay. They each wrote earlier drafts of the script. Both white guys. Okay. Why is no one black on this staff? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you. I mean, I could guess, but. And with that, let's get to our director. It's Steven Spielberg. I'm not happy with you, Steven. Hmm. What do we think of his directing in this movie? <laughs> I mean, it's basic. Setting aside all the problematic stuff, it's still not that interesting. It doesn't do anything. The I'm... production design is impeccable. It it is. But that's not him. No. It's just It's utterly mediocre for a mediocre movie written by mediocre white men about an extraordinary life. Mm-hmm. There's so much more they could have done with this and they went the absolute mediocre route. They tried to make this movie to appeal to everyone and in the end told nothing. It, it gave us no information. Basically, this film is like, see how how Lincoln freed the slaves? It's like, no, he didn't. He he really didn't. (laughs) They do give us that one scene at the end where he has to go through the soldiers before the surrender at Appomattox. Mm -hmm. And I don't hate that. There's a part of me that wishes the movie ended on that. 
because you have to realize it was like, this didn't end the war. Mm-hmm. It still raged on for a while. I just... There, there were so many better avenues to tell this story, and they just refused to do any of them. Well, it's it goes back to they refuse to they refuse to tell a story in which Lincoln's not the hero, and that's the problem. Yeah. And when doing a biopic, you have to really look at the flaws of your character. You have to be okay with looking at your character, your 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 person, and be like, this is where they're horrible, and not be afraid of that. You can still admire and love them, but be like, this is where they're a horrible person. What is the most compelling story of their life? And Lincoln is a man exhausted by one of the worst situations in history. Like, and and that's part of why he's he's talked about because he had probably the most difficult presidency. He had an impossible ever. job. He had an impossible job. And f- for the thought experiment, well, yeah, if I had this possible experiment, I'd probably be willing to give up a lot of shit too. I'd be like, I mean, it, it's just when you think about all of the things he was facing. What would you do in that situation? So it's it's one of those it's it's a gr- it's a great conundrum to to think through. But instead, you all you did was make Talk him iconography. How, exactly. Just you made him play, a portrait on a wall. Exactly. You did, you, all, you played up to that statue. All those fucking stories that he tells throughout the movie, which credit to Daniel Day Lewis, who does an amazing job with sure. them. But it's just like, why is every why is every time he speaks turn into a story speech? Which which. I, I will give credit for, like, somebody's like, you're just going to start telling stories, I'm going to leave. Yeah. Because somebody does say it. And I'm like, I agree with this because this is pointless. There is one Ethan Allen story that I'm no. very partial to. No, you're, you're going to tell a story. I don't believe that I can bear to listen to another one of your stories right now. I need to be in those side yard schedule for Alexandria. I asked for that this morning. It was... <laughs> But it's just to make him amazing, and he's not. And even if that's what Lincoln did mm-hmm. when he was in public, fine. I guess I get it. But like, that's all you took your time to focus on. Yeah. <sighs> well, as to the production design and the impeccability that mm-hmm. Stephen brings to all of his productions, mm-hmm. that's one thing we definitely give him credit for. The executive mansion office was precisely recreated mm. to the original status. The exact same wallpaper and books were used to decorate that office. Oh, cool. So it is completely accurate. And the ticking of Lincoln's watch that is heard throughout the film is the sound of his actual pocket watch, which was carried to the day of his assassination. Oh, okay. So (sighs) now, as to your point about Spielberg making this movie for himself. Okay. He addressed Daniel Day-Lewis and Sally Field as Mr. President and Mrs. Lincoln or Molly throughout the production. Okay, so knowing what we know about Daniel Day-Lewis and how very method actory he can be, that seems more cheeky dash. I'm going to just be a little... I, that, 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 that doesn't bother me. That seems more um, be a little silly, but also respect the fact that Daniel prefers to remain in character on break and whatnot. Standing alone? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Stephen also wore a suit to set what? every day. Are you fucking kidding me? Quote. He, he is baseball hat Hawaiian shirt guy. Quote. Oh, God. I think I wanted to get into the role oh my God. more than anything else of being part of that experience because we were recreating a piece of history. And so I didn't want to look like the schlubby baseball cap wearing 21st century guy. <laughs> 
I wanted to be like the cast. Unquote. I'm a big boy director. They <laughs> wanted a costume. <laughs> he, came, uh-huh. he came on set. I'm going to be a big boy director today. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm in costume as a director. The only way it could have been worse is if he if he got a suit that was tailored to 1860s specifications. If he came in a suit with the bow tie looking like the rest of the cast. Uh-huh. <laughs> At the time, I will freely admit, I probably would have been sucked oh, into all that. We wanted to see it. But having seen some of this stuff and really gotten that critical eye, sure. like it's it is so clear what self-indulgent crap this movie is. Well, and you know, again, we can't ignore the fact that we're watching it in 2020 and after so many things that have come to pass this year, particularly in regards to racial equality, racial injustice, that definitely affects our ability to watch this film. But 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 it's not even that so much for me. It's that Seeing this, adding that all up, you go, wow, what a self-indulgent piece of garbage yep. that you made here. Uh-huh. And again, I say piece of garbage in the sense that this movie is so mediocre. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing for you to make a self-indulgent piece of garbage like The Room, and it is delightful because it is wild and crazy and people don't, like, understand what's going on because it breaks all linear rules of movie making. <laughs> But when you make something like this, with this level of talent, it's infuriating. (sighs) And of course, Abraham Lincoln was listed on the call sheet as played by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, throughout the filming? Yes. Abraham Lincoln is being played on the roll sheet by Abraham Lincoln. Okay. The only person who can pull off that bullshit on a call sheet is Paul Thomas Anderson. (laughs) Okay. Because that dude is hilarious. How much do you want to bet that he named that character Daniel Plainview just so throughout There Will Be Blood, he could call him Daniel and not have to think about it? Well, you know for a fact that Daniel Day-Lewis hates doing, he will not, he does not want to do poster call, like he will not do photo shoots. I mean, fair, the guy's been doing this for so long and he's got a very specific it's way It's a to part work. of your fucking job, dude. I know, I but, know. So- Paul Thomas Anderson in The Phantom Thread made it a part of the script that his character had to do a photo shoot for the fashion line so that he could get the photos he needed for the fucking poster. This is why I love auteur filmmakers so much. Paul Thomas Anderson did it. So I could see Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> doing that shit to just be like, I'm going to fuck with Daniel. Just this is my way to get back at him. That set, I allow it. This set, fuck off, Steven. <laughs> Or maybe it was a cheeky production assistant, in which, uh, which case I say, I hope you enjoyed your day. <laughs> I hope they treated you well. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about the bright spot of this movie, and that is our cast. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Before this, he started in Gandhi. So that's a auspicious debut. Then The Bounty, My Beautiful Laundrette, A Room with a View, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, My Left Foot, The Last of the Mohicans, The Age of Innocence, In the Name of the Father, The Crucible, The Boxer, Gangs of New York, The Ballad of Jack and Rose, There Will Be Blood, and Nine. And after this, The Phantom Thread. Whenever you say The Phantom Thread, I think of the Paul Thomas Anderson song. (laughs) Excuse me, the Paul F. Tompkins Tompkins song. Theme. Sorry, same initials. A genius. As for Daniel playing Abraham Lincoln. Fabulous. He's great. He rises above 
what he's been given to work sure. with, honestly. I mean, that man can elevate anything. He really, truly can. Um, and the, the accent is impeccable. It was much talked about at the time because, you know, it's not it's not the typical Abraham Lincoln ideal we have in our head. Score in seven years. Like they they're really do, but it's historically accurate that he had a very high voice, actually. Um, and he's got that that Midwesty Indiana, Illinois feel. Yep. And, you know, you get that gentle giant feel of him. But his rage is so fascinating to watch because he is incredibly reserved and exhausted. Sure. And so just like seeing him in front of the cabinets and yelling out, Buzzards goes mad. Where at once you're like, I love the old timiness of this. I love the old timey cursing. And that he doesn't, he can't really curse because that's just who he is. Yeah. But like on the flip side, he never gets angry. Mm -hmm. He's just exasperated. Sure. Because he's like, "I, I have done everything I can to try to keep the union together. What more do you want from me? Yep. I believe it. He just, he feels weary in a beautiful way. And he brings a tenderness to the role that quite often you don't get with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yep. I mean, that is the one thing is he's such a dynamic actor in so many roles Mm -hmm. that watching him in this, there's no dynamic levels in the script for him. Sure. Um, So it's all about nuance. He's very good. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is fabulous at nuance. Yeah. That's his super special skill. But yeah. It's a shame because we could have got, if, if the story had been about had been Lincoln the antihero, he could have killed this so much more and if- played it very similarly. We really do get a glimpse of it, and it's right near the end of the movie when he finally he realizes that he's gonna have to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. That's been his goal the whole time. I don't want my hands on it mm-hmm. because I want to keep the imprimatur of me as the president sure. not involved. Sure, but Fair. finally he realizes there's no way out of it. No. When he finally goes and meets with those three guys, all of a sudden the movie's clicking. Like it's it is all working on every gear for those like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. For that scene through the house, it really works because he is there and he's sly mm-hmm. and he cares and we should see all of that working at the same time, but he's also like we're going to have to get dirty to do this. So how do we get dirty? Who do I have to talk to? Yep. I mean, a movie just about those three guys who are going to muscle all the senators would have been interesting in and of itself. And then have Lincoln show up near the end where it's like Lincoln's Lincoln's just in the background, and, in the background, and, and all of a sudden And Lincoln's he's just the overlord that they just keep going back to and talking with. Well, try this. Try that. Let's go here. Come on. This. Like- I know he, that makes him a supporting ca- that's character, fine. but that's such a fascinating place to put him. But also, in many situations, that's all the fuck. That's what the president fucking is. Why do you think they call them whips? Because they're supposed to whip the fucking votes. It, you know, it, it's just one of those things where he is giving a masterful performance in a pretty mediocre movie. That's what it comes down to. Totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. A quote on his experience making the movie. Mm-hmm. I never, ever felt that depth of love for another human being that I never met. And I think that's probably the effect that Lincoln had on most people that take the time to discover him. I wish he had stayed with me forever. Oh, well, that's sweet. When you actually hear him talk about what he does, he's so incredibly incisive and thoughtful. He is. He's not, a, especially after the Bill the Butcher stuff, people just took him for being crazy. Yeah. He's not. He's just very, very intense. Yeah. And methodical. Well, and then you talk to him and it's like he's apparently the biggest teddy bear in the known universe. Yeah. And even while in character can be a little creepy at times, 
but I don't think I've heard stories where he like utterly crossed uh, the line. No. He's just in character. He, he's in character and he wants that to be respected. He's he's just very strict yeah. and isolated. That's why he only does one movie like every five years yeah. because it's draining and he doesn't see his family. And yeah, he just that's just that's how he can do his best work. But he has three Oscars. So there you go. Well, he did state that if he won an Oscar for this film, he would retire for five years. Mm-hmm. He did exactly that. Yep. <laughs> Fair. He publicly said, if I win for this movie... I'm done for five years. And I mean, respect, he'd already won two Oscars. He already won two. Like, Like, I think he was... I I think he was probably just be just just spout nonsense, but then it was like, oh, this happened. Okay. When he developed the tape of his accent, he sent it in a box with skull and crossbones to Stephen so that if anybody else intercepted it, they would be dissuaded from trying to open it, thinking it might be something dangerous. Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that's a little creepy but fair yeah, i think it was just a it was just a precaution he's like they wanted that a secret and i totally I, get it i respect that it made the impact much stronger but also email <laughs> but he was not the original person oh, cast okay. as lincoln okay i mean this movie sure was in development for, for a time. long time liam neeson was oh. the original abraham Lincoln. I, I remember hearing about this. It makes total sense, especially with the height. Because Daniel Day-Lewis is not that tall. He's pretty tall. He is pretty tall, but Liam Neeson is very tall. He wound up dropping out well into the lengthy film. development of the film. He was attached since 2004. Okay. But by the time they started filming, or were ready to start filming, when Stephen finally had it all put together, sure. Liam had two things going on. One... He had recently lost his wife, Natasha Richardson, one month earlier Mm -hmm. and decided he could not be involved in anything. And two, he also felt he'd completely aged out of the role. Fair. He actually had done extensive research on Lincoln. Fair. In that interim, he had read 20 different books. He had visited the Lincoln Bicentennial Committee. He had reviewed tons of historical items Mm. and letters. He visited Ford's Theater and viewed Lincoln's wallet and his inauguration Bible. Like he had done, he had done the work, all the legwork, wow. to prepare for the role. That's disappointing, but I'm glad that he was the one to decide to pass. Yes, which I mean, sad for the the uh, the reason being most probably mostly that his wife passed. Yeah, but because that that was just tragic. But Spielberg's original choice was always Daniel Day Lewis. Fair, but Daniel at the time turned down the role. He was scared of being unable to live up to an icon. He sent a lengthy letter to Spielberg. I don't have it all here because it's a pretty long letter. Sure. But he stated he really only wanted a role where he felt inescapably drawn by the character. Fair. And in his assessment of Lincoln, he said, this is a story I would much rather watch than be a part of. Sure. I respect that. However, once Liam dropped out, Spielberg was determined. And after a decade of development, he finally got Day-Lewis to perform the role. And convincing him was Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, there is no specific information on what exactly the conversation was for that, but Leo is the person who convinced Daniel Day-Lewis to take the role. Well, I mean, they worked together on Gangs of New York, so they definitely have a trust and a friendship. So, yeah, I could, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And, you know, say what you want about Leonardo DiCaprio. He has chosen some very good roles for himself over the last 15 years or so. Yeah. I mean... He finally got that Oscar. <laughs> finally. Well, that brings us to Sally Field as Mary Todd Lincoln. Before this, she was Gidget 
on television. Yes, <laughs> she was. She was the flying nun on television. She was. Then Stay Hungry, she played the title role Sybil in the television miniseries. Mm-hmm. Smokey and the Bandit, Hooper, Norma Ray, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Absence of Malice, Places in the Heart, Punchline, Steel Magnolias, Not Without My Daughter, Soap Dish, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, Mrs. Doubtfire, Forrest Gump, Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco, Where the Heart Is, Legally Blonde 2, Brothers and Sisters on Television, and The Amazing Spider-Man. She played Aunt May. Mm-hmm. After this, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Hello, My Name is Doris, Maniac on Television, and Dispatches from Elsewhere on Television. She's making a comeback on on. She's doing a lot of TV. TV I love her on Brothers and Sisters. She's great. What do we think about Sally Field in this movie? She's great. I liked her. I thought she's very. she worked really well with Daniel Day-Lewis. She's getting to play the dynamic role. She does have a much more dynamic role, and she has a really complicated role because she has to play crazy without being crazy, but sincere. Since she has to be so sincere, and you have to look at her and go be like, you're being a little crazy, but not unbelievable or like, what's wrong with you, woman? But like, what is up? Like, couldn't you have to be concerned for her? Very rarely. Do we see depression portrayed on screen for how it actually seems and feels from the outside? This feels like it. No, I don't think that's Charlie. Tree. We usually see depression as sad, mopey, suicidal. Yeah, that's fair. We don't always see depression as this outward expression where the, it's just unwieldy. Uh, she's completely saturated with feelings. And there's just something unhinged in these moments some some of these moments because some other time she's absolutely fine she's being snarky and kind of bitchy which i love i love a bitchy woman love it but there are these moments where she's just like she's just an open nerve yeah which is which is fabulous and she does a fa- she does a great job yeah and so. it is it is very widely known that that mary todd lincoln was mentally ill it's probably impossible to say exactly what issues may have been going on but it's very clear she was struggling with the even even before the loss of her son and then the grief of all of that just and all of the stress just compounded all of the issues that she had had. Sure. She brings that to it and really that's why it plays so well opposite the stoicism that sure. Daniel Day-Lewis has to bring. Well, and that's when they have that argument when he kind of explodes on her. It's so good. It's <laughs> really good because it kind of shuts her up a little bit because it's also like, oh, I didn't consider... That you might be, because she's just mad at him for moving on, and he's just like, I, I, I can't, I can't do this with. I want nothing more than to crawl in the ground with him. Yeah, but I can't, which is like, oh, it's so heartbreaking, but also very true. And then I love her retort at the opera, yeah, <laughs> which is, you better get this past, or I will haunt you. Haunt you. <laughs> I say shit like that to you. Fair, Mary. She was determined to play the role. Ever since it had come up, she begged Spielberg for a screen test. Spielberg was like, I don't know. It feels like you're a little old for the role. Fuck and- off, Steven. <sighs> it's Steven. This is, this is some misogynistic bullshit. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And the only other thing is that uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was actually well younger than Lincoln in their marriage. Yeah. So that's where the dynamics of the research might reveal stuff. But Sally Field, mm-hmm. not to be dissuaded. Quote, I knew I was right for this part. I begged him to let me audition for it. He was kind enough to do that. And Daniel is such a sweetheart that he flew from his home in Ireland to screen test with me. Mm-hmm. I will love him forever for doing that. 
Yep. Thank you, Daniel J. Lewis. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> that helped. It did. Because you know, seeing the dynamic of the two of them together, I understand, like, okay, well, uh, you know, Liam, like, Liam is this old, so I need the act the actress to be this old. Like, I need, I, like, I need I somebody need, just this little bit younger. Or No, I just, I need them to be comparable. Yeah. But at the same time, Daniel Day-Lewis is much younger than Liam Neeson, and they knew they were going to age him up. They knew that. So that was not going to be a factor. Also, Sally Field is Sally fucking Field. And also, Sally Field looks like she's barely, the woman's barely aged. Hello. The woman has always looked very, very young. And she's so petite. Fuck off. <laughs> just fuck off, Steven. Yes. Like, it's just the most misogynistic bullshit because they do this all the time. How often do we watch a film where the man is 40 and the woman playing his wife, who's supposed to be 35, is being played by a 25-year-old? Fuck off, Hollywood. But hey, hey, Sally Field, got to kill it. And now for our other two main actors. Mm -hmm. We start with a fan favorite on this show, David Strathairn. David Strathairn! Playing Secretary of State William Seward. Before this, Silkwood, Iceman, Madawan, Dominic and Eugene, Eight Men Out, Memphis Bell, A League of Their Own, Bob Roberts, Sneakers, Lost in Yonkers, The Firm, The River Wild, Dolores Claiborne, Home for the Holidays, L.A. Confidential, A Midsummer Night's Dream from 1999, Good Night and Good Luck. <sighs> the Notorious Betty Page, We Are Marshall, Fracture, My Blueberry Nights, The Bourne Ultimatum, Howl, The Tempest from 2010, and The Bourne Legacy. After this... He does 2014's Godzilla reboot, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, My Dinner with Hervé, Billions, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and he will be seen in the upcoming Francis McDormand vehicle, Nomadland. Hmm, okay. Character actor extraordinaire, great, great I, actor. I mean- Kills it in this movie. I mean, I've seen him for years. I mean, I, it, literally, it wasn't until now that I realized, oh yeah, that is David Strathairn in- a League of Their Own. Fuck me. <laughs> but I didn't really know who he was until Good Night and Good Luck, which is a movie that we love. Like, I remember seeing that film and be like, give that man the Oscar. Give that man. He did get nominated. Give that man the Oscar because yeah. I love him. I don't like what it inspired in some news personalities because sure. shut up. But um, the movie itself phenomenal. is so Clooney good. did a, a fabulous job. Yup. <laughs> and um, uh, he kills it in this movie. He's, he's great. He's a oh, he's a fabulous character actor. I love the fact that this whole movie, he's like, what? Are uh, the the whole thing of like, oh, by the way, a delegation. There's there's rumors going around that there's a delegation that's coming from the south. You never would have done this without telling me, would you? <laughs> he's so just like, I'm trying to win a war, my dude. What the fuck am I supposed to do here? Like you're off doing all this shit without me. Rude. <laughs> Who told you this was a good idea? Nobody. I just did it. <laughs> Bad Lincoln. Bad. <laughs> he's, he's he's hilarious in how distraught he is about like being left out of stuff. He he's so beleaguered. He's he's got that Jeffrey Rush feel from Shakespeare in Love, mm -hmm. where it's like I don't fucking know. I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna do it. I guess. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> he's he's precious. Uh good times. And finally, Tommy Lee Jones playing Thaddeus Stevens. We've never talked about him on this show. How, how, we've gone like four years without talking about Tommy Lee Jones. We've seen a lot of Tommy Lee Jones movies. That's part of our problem. <laughs> That's fair. Especially through the 90s. Before this, Love Story, then tons of television. 
Then Eyes of Laura Mars, Coal Miner's Daughter, Lonesome Dove, JFK, Under Siege, The Fugitive, Heaven and Earth, Blown Away, The Client, Natural Born Killers, Cobb, Batman Forever, Volcano, Men in Black, U.S. Marshals, Small Soldiers, Rules of Engagement, Space Cowboys, Men in Black 2, The Hunted, Three Burials, No Country for Old Men, In the Valley of Elah, Captain America, The First Avenger, Men in Black 3, and Emperor. After this, Jason Bourne and Ad Astra. He's still working a lot, but he's not doing a lot of big things. Yeah, I mean, he's the pride of San Saba. Yep, he likes to go live on his ranch and do shit, which good for him. Uh, we we joke with that. Uh, David's grandparents live not too far from there, so every time we're near there, we're just like, it's Tommy Lee Jones country. Uh-huh. We joke about it. What do we think of Tommy Lee Jones in this movie? His wig is so offensive. <laughs> which, like, he jokes about how much he cares about his wig, so, like, clearly it's a thing, but... I love the fact that he's gone old-timey wig, and then he's made it jet black. It's like the absolute worst toupee of all time. But, like, clearly that's a thing. <laughs> it's great. I mean, he, he's he kills Jones. it. He's totally Jones. I'm fine with it. Like, I like it. He's just like, fuck off, all you people. We need to free all the slaves. And, and a, a more compelling an interesting moral character True. than Lincoln in this movie. Absolutely. Well, he's just like, we need to give reparations. We need to do this. We need to fix all of that. Like, he goes hard. Thaddeus Stevens at the time was clearly the most progressive member yes. in the house. Which I, I, I was like, can I learn more about this dude? Because, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Diana knows very little about history. I am not good with history, yeah. which is why films for me have been helpful to explain things. And this is why historical fiction gets me into trouble. I recognize this because if I see it in historical fiction, I think that's how it happens. Yeah. This is this is a problem for Diana. So for me, I'm like, I didn't know about this guy. Who the fuck's this guy? I want to know more about that guy because that guy is spinning fire. I need to learn more about that dude. Yeah. Where's his movie? And I then, need his movie. And then equivocates mm -hmm. his, his feelings. Absolutely. Even when many of his group we're not interested in him doing that. Absolutely. But he, he represented the pure abolitionist faction. Again, a more interesting and compellingly written character than our main guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, but he, well, Tommy, to, Tommy Lee Jones kills it being Tommy Lee Jones. To be fair, his character has a more interesting point of view than Lincoln did. Yeah. Which is fine. But also, I would love to have more of the dynamic between the two of them arguing. Team of rivals. Team of rivals, which now I gotta go read that goddamn book. Yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, well, that's it for our main cast, because those are the people who get the majority of screen time. Fair, because this is a movie of that guy, that guy, and that guy. Welcome to Arpons. The movie of Arpons, a random people of note. Now, top build above some of these people is this first Arpon, which mm -hmm. is wild to me, because he's barely in the movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Robert Lincoln. Okay, but like more famous he's been he's been in film longer than most of these dudes i mean i get it but it's just like really the dude is 40 and he's been in film since he was like six he's had a longer career than a lot of these guys oh for tommy lee jones though tommy lee jones got the like special appearance style credit though so he, i love joseph gordon levitt so yeah. fuck off tommy lee jones anyway let's roll through the rest of these james spader playing wn bilbo adore him Hal Holbrook playing Preston Blair. Legend. Yeah, I mean, legend, but meh. John Hawks playing Robert Latham. I fucking love that dude. Jackie Earl Haley playing Alexander Stevens, that, Vice President of the Confederacy. He's a fabulous bad dude. 
Jared Harris as Ulysses S. Grant. That is some amazing fucking casting. Scene stealer. I love Jared Harris. He's so good. I love him. Lee Pace as Fernando Wood. I also love that dude. Ultimate icky bad guy. Every time I see him, I get excited. Gloria Rubin playing Elizabeth Keckley. You would know her from ER, ER and Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah, she is on Mr. Robot. Jeremy Strong playing oh. John Nicolay in a real early role and if you're not paying attention he he does not look like himself because that's the dude from succession i mean now he's got such an image with a short cropped hair it's a short cropped hair and the headphones but in this he's got mustache longish hair <laughs> and he, he's he's letting his his face meat hang yeah like he has no expression so he looks so different from kendall but that's him michael stuhlbarg <gasps> as george yaman from kentucky my favorite dad <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think I think about that speech from Call Me By Your Name. I'm just like, oh, this is my favorite dad. Oh, but a but a racist Kentuckian <laughs> who nevertheless makes the right decision in the it's end. Fair. It's fair. Joins the right party. Boris MacGyver playing Alexander Kofroth, Tom Hammerschmidt from House of Cards mm-hmm. makes an appearance here. Yep. David Costabile playing James Ashley. You would know him from Breaking Bad and Flight of the Concords. Yep. It's Gale, everybody. It's Walton Goggins as Clay Fuck. Hawkins. Fucking Walton Goggins, that he's, dude. I used to hate him, and he's my favorite now. And he's such a coward in this movie. <laughs> I love him. I love Walton Goggins. I vote no. I mean, I abstain. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. <laughs> I'm a coward. Coleman Domingo playing Private Harold Green. You would know him from Fear the Walking Dead and Euphoria. Okay. That man on Euphoria is nothing but fire. Like, if you've not watched Euphoria, it's hard, but he is fucking amazing on Euphoria. Well, how about the other guy who gets the featured part in this scene? It's David Oyelowo, Corporal Ira Clark, who was MLK in Selma. (laughs) I mean, I love what that guy got to say, but Coleman is the shit. They're both great. (laughs) They are great. That scene is fabulous, and I wanted more of that. Well, let's add to it two pretty fun actors as the white soldiers. We've got Lucas Haas Haas. as first white soldier and Dane DeHaan as second white soldier. I like how they're credited as white soldier. (laughs) They don't have names. Because fair. We've got Bill Camp as Mr. Jolly. He was the head detective in The Night Of. And we have Elizabeth Marvel playing Mrs. Jolly. You best know her as Heather Dunbar, the attorney from House of Cards. Mm -hmm. They are an actual real life married couple. Yes, they are. (laughs) And they're playing a married couple in this movie. That's cute. Wayne Duvall playing Senator Bluff Wade. You know him as Homer Stokes, a.k.a. the KKK guy in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. Adam Driver as Samuel Beckwith <laughs> in a role before literally anyone knew who he was. That's not true. He was on Girls. Was he by this time? Yeah, he was on Girls. Okay, well, still. Adam was, Driver. I think he was on Girls, and I think he had just been cast in Star Wars, but nobody knew who he was playing in Star Wars yet. Okay, well, still. Adam Driver. Yeah, Adam Driver. <laughs> baby Adam Driver. I don't, I, there is no baby Adam Driver because he's always been that big and goofy looking. That's fair. Like, there's no such thing as baby Adam Driver. As a woman shouter at the house, woman shouter, Jean Kennedy Smith, the sister of JFK. Oh, okay. We have Christopher Evan Welch playing the Edward McPherson, the clerk. You'd know him as Peter Gregory from the first season of Silicon Valley. Hmm, okay. And S. Apatha Merkerson as Lydia Smith, the longtime regular on Law and Order. Okay. Now does Chicago Med. 
what a fucking cast. Jesus. And that's not counting a bunch of under character actors who have done tons and tons of work and just aren't as recognizable. Like yeah. everybody in this movie was super top end character actors. They're just amazing. I mean, this is history that like the cast is the best part of the movie. The performances are fantastic. Nobody's phoning it in. No. No. I mean, nobody I'm like, eh, they suck. Or well, they were not interested. Everybody's doing a fabulous job. They are. That's the only reason to see this movie. It just comes down to the story that they chose to tell sucks. It just sucks. Because they didn't choose to tell a story. <laughs> well, a story. It just sucks. <laughs> because Steven Spielberg said, I'm going to be a director today. I'm going to be a big boy movie. <laughs> well, let's talk about our awards. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Because this was, of course, Oscar bait. Uh, at no, the 2013 this is, Oscars. This is a PBS miniseries trying to be an uh, Oscar bait. It was nominated for 12 Oscars. Fair. It won two. Fair. For Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis wins the Academy Award. Okay, who was he against? This was a bad year for movies, everybody. 2012. I mean, we didn't see anything. Bradley Cooper, Silver Linings Playbook. Fuck off. Hugh Jackman, Les Miserables. Fuck off. Joaquin Phoenix, The Master. Right. Denzel Washington, Flight. Yeah, it, it was going. There was yeah. There's no. There was his only competition is Joaquin. Yeah, we which we have not seen that film because that is on our list for um, Paul Thomas Anderson films. Yes, it is. Finish. But I mean, that's it. That was that was going to be his only competition. This was Daniel's film. And again, he's fantastic. Yeah, I, I got there's it. no denying it. I'm not mad. I'm just looking at the list of movies that came out that year and were nominated. And was like, oh no. Best production design. It won. Fair. It beat Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, which from what I've heard is a fascinating okay. scenic design. Okay. Because it's like it's half on a stage and then half sure. in the period. Sure. It also beat The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Okay. Les Miserables. Okay. And Life of Pi. I mean, that's just a really hard category. This, I mean, even this year it was between, between Little Women and Jojo Rabbit because both were phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, my pick was Jojo Rabbit, Little Women One. Yeah. And I wasn't mad. I was like, I'm not mad. Both are great. They're both great movies. I, I just chose the one that wasn't historically accurate. It was nominated for Best Picture. It lost to Argo. Fair. Argo was <laughs> that okay, now I know now I can place it now that I know who won. Because this is the year that Ben Affleck got snubbed. Uh-huh. He shouldn't have been. Now I'm mad. Um, great. <laughs> Fabulous. Good. Cause Argo was a better film because that story was fucking amazing. Yeah. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. He lost to Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained. Bam. Fair. Deserved. I'm glad Tommy got nominated, though. Sure. He's really good in the movie. Nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Sally Field. Field. Lost to Anne Hathaway for Les Miserables. I'll give them the man. <laughs> I still haven't seen Les Mis, but I'm not mad. Nominated for Best Director, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Lost in a tie to Michael Hanukkah for the Austrian film Amour and Ang Lee for Life of Pi. They both won? They tied. How do I not remember that? I don't know. <laughs> also, two really weird different choices for the Academy, but hey. That, that is a weird uh, director split. Huh. Hmm. Nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Lost to Argo. Fair. Nominated for Best Cinematography, okay. Lost to Life of Pi. Okay. Nominated for Best Editing, Lost to Argo. Fair. Argo is very well paced. 
nominated for best costume, mm-hmm. lost to Anna Karenina. Also fair. Nominated for best original score, lost to Life of Pi. Okay. Nominated for best sound mixing, lost to Les Miserables. Yeah. I'm sorry, but Les Mis changed the game on musicals. It did. In ter- on film musicals, and I think in a way that makes the best sense. And still, then, I still have never seen it, and yet I respect that so much. And then Tom Hooper took all that goodwill and, and ruined flushed it. it down the toilet. All right, that gives us the trivia. Trivia. Only a few pieces here. Bilbo's appearance had to be created whole cloth because there are no known pictures of that gentleman. Interesting. So they used various sources and secondhand accounts to recreate his eccentric sense of fashion. It was also apparently James Spader's idea to whittle a duck throughout the making of the movie, something Spader found in his own individual research. Hmm. And Daniel Day-Lewis instructed James Spader to be, quote, as nasty as possible to portray Bilbo, which James Spader is the perfect person to do. I'm here for that. He's so good at being a gross political Mm -hmm. animal. (laughs) The release of the movie inspired a movement to have Mississippi officially ratify the 13th Amendment. They had not sent their 1995 vote. What? What? They only agreed to ratify the 13th Amendment in 1995. But they never officially sent it to the Federal Register to get it on the books. So this finally got them to send it to the register and put it on the books. Okay, well, isn't Mississippi the state that just got rid of the Confederate flag? Mississippi's a lot, y'all. Okay, well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna take say yay for the wins. I, Anything they, they for have, the state of Mississippi. They have been hard fought, and they deserve to be recognized and celebrated because they are they have not been without a lot of pain and suffering. I know, just eighteen sixty four to nineteen ninety five. That that is why we need to celebrate them so much. Woo! Because that's how long it's taken to get some of this shit take cleaned up. Michael Stanton Kennedy, one of the actors in the film, one of the character actors, his great-grandfather was a newspaper man from the town where his character, Hiram Price, lived. Okay. And during the house scene, he started to openly weep, not knowing why. Later, he realized, quote, we're in this room recreating one of the most important moments in American history, and up there in the balcony with the press sat my great-grandfather. Aww. That's kind of cool. That's interesting. (laughs) The argument between the Lincolns, one of many famous fights in which he threatens the madhouse, was over Robert Lincoln going into war. Robert Lincoln was the one who actually did commit his mother to an institution, Mm. and they became permanently estranged after that. Mm, According to Doris Kearns Goodwin, the Ethan Allen story that Lincoln tells in the film was one of his favorite stories, although there is no confirmation that it's actually true. God, that's a gr- that is one of the few stories I actually like hearing. <laughs> I was like, well, nothing would make an Englishman shit faster than George Washington. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Several scenes, including the Capitol shots, were filmed in the Virginia State Capitol mm-hmm. in Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. Mm. Again, ew, symbolism. Symbolism, but also they ha- to get the look. I mean, that's not- according to Kathleen Kennedy, the commission to film there allowed funding and access to out-of-season historical locations and settings where people wouldn't be. Fine, I guess, but it's just another example of how do y'all not think through that part of it? I mean... 
Nobody was in their room to tell him otherwise. No, that's very clear. <sighs> when Tad is looking at a photograph, plates of enslaved people, when we see that scene where he's looking at the photograph plates through the window, those were actual photos that were some of the earliest photography propaganda mm-hmm. used by abolitionists in the fight to end slavery. Okay. It's, it's a cool little historical landmark there. Sure. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And Hal Holbrook played Abraham Lincoln several times during his career. He's well known for being a historical impressionist, of course, very much for Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. But he did win an Emmy in 1974 playing Abraham Lincoln. Okay. He does the gruff Lincoln voice, though. Yeah. And that is it for trivia. So now we're on to ratings. Oh, God. Woo. I don't know. Are we going to do little shawls, Lincoln shawls? We're sitting there trying to stay warm in the White House. (sighs) How many pocket watches? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to rate this movie. I'm, I'm going to give it a two and a half. And like two of those are for the cast alone. Because this like, I'm just like, I can't shit on it just to shit. Like, I, it's a, it's competently made film. Like, I wasn't bored. It's not a bad movie. But the story sucks. In terms of a biopic, which this is trying to be, it does not tell me anything new. It does not educate me about the passing of the 13th amendment does not educate me about lincoln the man so it fails in that regard of what a biopic really should do but the cast is phenomenal and they deserve all the praise and the production is also very well done so they deserved all of those nominations all those accolades so i don't i don't want to shit on it in that way so it's a two and a half in that it's like whatever i'm going with my gut here and i'm saying one and a half okay i hate these kind of stories um, used to be way into them, but like now I'm really not into it unless unless you're telling me a profile story of someone I know nothing about. Fair. And on top of that, learning all of the tone deafness and the self-indulgence mm-hmm. of this story, the performance even gets cheapened for me. Like it's like great, but why couldn't I have seen these people do this kind of performance in a different, better movie? Well, I don't think that's fair. You're blaming the actors for what's on the page. No, and and that's true. And, and I just, by the end of this movie, I really had that mediocre vibe of like, I watched a movie, great. And it just, it left me with that sour taste. That's fine. And so like, I don't want to denigrate it that like, I'm, if you really want to watch great acting, it's definitely a movie worth your time. I won't, I won't not recommend it mm-hmm. in that regard. But for me, I just didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> so one and a half. Yep. A inauspicious end to our Spielberg series. <laughs> he yeah. started real high. Yeah. And then reached a real peak there. I'm really and so I think you know the next Spielberg film we'll end up seeing is West Side Story. It, it is it is so fascinating to see how hit or miss he is based on the level of control versus time he's given to make something. Mm-hmm. I just wow. It, he is He's a fascinating, complicated dude. And again, the one thing we'll say in his credit and the one thing that he he almost always figures out is he will solve the problem. Sometimes the movie won't wind up that great, but he will solve it and he will get it done. He will deliver. <laughs> well, he, he delivered crap. <laughs> well, we close out Steven Spielberg. It's been an interesting journey. It's been an interesting journey. And this is the, the end of the year. And usually what comes next for us is our year in movies review. But... We didn't really see any films this year. <laughs> They're not coming out until very soon. 
So we really can't do a year in movies review. Uh, usually, you know, we talk about every film we saw this year when we give our ratings, uh, you know, our top five, bottom five. We really didn't do that this year because everything we saw was at the beginning of the year. So we won't be doing a year in movies. We won't be doing a 2020 year in movies because everything we watched ended up being uh, something we covered um, in a long form review. So we won't be doing that. And usually everything we just saw that become our top five become the Oscar bait films. Yep. Well, again, that's all been changed because the Oscars aren't in February. The Oscars (laughs) aren't until April. So our Oscar season has changed, which means our season has changed drastically for 2021. So So, you know what? So we did something different. And so we're going to we're probably we're going to take next week off. And so the first thing you're going to get from us in 2021 is a little series of films that we have talked about. We meant to do this series a while ago and time got away from us. But during quarantine, we said, let's time do it. Let's just do it. Let's just let's watch something stupid and really analyze these films. Because what we've discovered is we really like watching a series. We're going to do... An impossible series, if you will. Yes, our mission is impossible. (laughs) Yes, coming in 2021, we will be covering all of Mission Impossible's one through six. You can hear all our thoughts about Scientology, on what a fucking idiot Tom Cruise is. I promise we only dunk on Scientology like once per episode. No, it's mostly just about Tom. We dunk on Tom a lot. But this is this is a really interesting, like, this is the most you ever get to learn about Tom Cruise. You really get to see who he is as a producer and just as a dude. Tom it's Cruise weir- reveals it's weird. so he reveals so much of himself as an actor, producer, and film person. Yeah. Throughout this franchise. So this is this has been fun. So we've we've yeah, we've gone through them all, and so we're gonna start releasing those. In in 2021. Get ready, y'all. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to us talk about those movies. Listen to us complain about Tom Cruise and Scientology. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.